Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to episode 374 here on the Motorcycle Men Podcast. Joining me here today in the V-Twin Cafe is motorcycle vagabond and author Z Traveler. Now, she's been on the show before, and she's back again, and here she is to tell us about her new book, Motorcycle Vagabond Epiphanies. But first, before we get into that, the Motorcycle Men Podcast is brought to you by Scorpion Helmets. Now, they're offering high-quality, innovative motorcycle helmets and technical apparel at an incredible value. So to learn more, get on over to scorpionusa.com. And Wild Ass Seats. You can improve your comfort and ability to stay in the saddle longer with a cushion from Wild Ass Seats. So if you're tired of those painful pressure points and fatigue, get on over to wild-ass.com and get your cushion today from the real Craig Johnson. Make sure you tell him that the Motorcycle Man podcast sent you on over there. And, of course, Tobacco Motorwear for the best in casual riding gear for men and women. There's only one place you should be going, and that is Tobacco Motorwear. Visit them at TobaccoMotorwear.com, and our listeners will get 10% off your order when you use the code MOTOMEN. Everyone here at the podcast is wearing the tobacco riding jeans, the California riding shirt. I'm using the Roper gloves. I can't tell you how wonderful these products are. I wear them for every ride, and I won't ride without them. Your safety is worth it, so get on over to Tobacco Motorwear get in dave's pants and of course our new sponsor stuck up sticker company look everybody wants some you need them your fans want them so get them from stuck up sticker company they're musicians and they get it cost turnaround and quality they care about those details and they know that you don't have much to spend and you need the most for your budget stuck up sticker company let the sticker jesus take care of your sticker needs today all right, time now for that interview with Z. Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to the Motorcycle Men Podcast. This is episode 374. Joining me all the way from Florida, somewhere, the entire state, our good friend Z Traveler. How you doing, Z? Man, I'm doing fantastic. I'm in a great place for all this winter BS going across the country. Yeah. It's not that cold down here. No. <laughs> uh, what is the temperature there right now? I think we're in the 50s. Really? Maybe 70s. I think it may have gotten up to 70 today, actually. It was quite nice. So we're not much warmer than you are, or colder, actually. Wow, I was very surprised. I thought for sure you guys would be like be in the 70s or maybe even the low 80s or something like that. It just depends. Sometimes we're on par with North Carolina. Sometimes we're, uh, Florida's more on par with like Texas. It just depends on how the weather's working. Wow. Oh, good for you. So, listen, we got you here because, you know, we've had you on before because you told us about your travels around Europe and you told us about your travels around the U.S. and to Mexico, and you you played Jeopardy with us also. So That was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it was. It was a lot of fun. And But now you're here because now you're not just a motorcycle vagabond, motorcycle traveler. Now you're also an author. And you're, you've got a book out called Motorcycle Vagabond Epiphanies. So why don't you briefly tell us about your book? So Motorcycle Vagabond Epiphanies is a book about living on your motorcycle written from a very base level. It's designed to help anyone. And it will even help people who are on the road already, who haven't hit the road, or who just camp and do short trips. Um, one of the most popular chapters in the book is the partner traveling chapter, which I actually thought about making a little booklet 
expanding the partner traveling advice I have and making it like how to not be a dick with the people you're riding with. <laughs> Every, unfortunately, everyone that needs to read it probably would not read it. Right. But, exactly. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it, honestly, my partner, AJ, he's uh, he very much calls it a poorly disguised philosophy book. It's it's philosophy tra with a, a traveling flavor to it. Right. How to not be uh how to be a little bit better of your own human, I oh, guess. Okay. All right. So you know what you gotta do is you gotta make one of those little tiny little books that are like three inches by two inches that you see at like Barnes and Noble, like just at the checkout. There's these stupid little tiny little books. You gotta make one of those for the traveling with a partner section. Make that like sort yeah, of like a go. like an addition to the book. You know, buy now and you'll get this free. You know, that type of a thing. <laughs> and it's so tiny, most people can't read it. That's true. <laughs> Whatever. So anyway, so you've been this, a vagabond for years now, and now you decided to write this book. What what brought you to decide that it's time to start sharing this knowledge with everybody? You know, it was a series of experiences with people. Uh, I mentored a few people throughout the years as a vagabond, and I have found that almost every time I've mentored someone, I would give them this list of things that you would probably not enjoy if you went and did this. And they took that list and did that immediately. Wow. And I, then they refused to talk to me afterwards. Most of my <laughs> friends says, don't talk to me anymore. Because they would have to own up on not listening to me and not being willing to admit that they were also wrong when they thought that they could do it anyways. So did you have like one of these aha moments like, uh, you know what? I should write a book about this crap. You know what? I always said that if I'm going to call myself an expert on something, I should write a book about it. So I wrote a book <laughs> about it. So now I can call myself a vagabond expert. All right. Okay. Well, you've been doing it long enough. Uh, when you're, as you're putting a book together, were you surprised as to how much information and knowledge you were sharing? Oh, Absolutely. Like, I had this little note on my phone. So every time I'd meet someone, whether they were going to do it themselves or they're just curious about my life, I would write down notes. And they would just be very shorthand, you know, with a lot of dashes in there. And it didn't seem that long. It was like a couple pages when I printed it. And I told AJ, and I was like, hey, you know, it's going to be like twenty or 30,000 words, you know, maybe 25,000. And he laughed his ass off at me. He remembers this. I remember this. And before I know it, I was almost 60,000 before I was done. And I, there are still things that I know that I forgot. Oh, wow. So you have to, you have to, you have to make a second edition now, right? I There is actually quite a few mentions throughout the book that volume two could happen. And by volume two, <laughs> there's actually more advanced techniques I can talk about. This yeah. is very base level, hitting the road for your first year. Right. And, you know, like, what are you doing in that first year and your goals and achievements as you start getting through that first year? You know, I could write a book for that third or fourth year vagabond, you know, like the advanced techniques, you know, your your mentality shifts, your, you know, planning things, you know, being famous, how that really changes throughout the years and how you can grow into your name. You know, I can say all kinds of stuff on that. Wow. So there's options for a book, too. Oh, OK. Well. Now, well, you know what the thing is, I was, as I was reading the book, I, they, and I mentioned this to you earlier, the part that really surprised me the most was, it was the entire chapter on how much it costs to be a motorcycle vagabond. Now, were you surprised for yourself when you put that all together, uh, that, it, how, that it, all the costs adding up? Did you, and do you think that's got to be a deterrent to anybody who might want to be a vagabond? 
It might be, but I mean, that's my number one question. So I, I did a presentation at HaneCon this weekend, and yeah. of course, the two first questions I got were literally my first two chapters. How much does it cost, and what about safety? So that's why those chapters are first. I mean, it's really not that bad. Like, I did the example on it, and it was about ten grand in a year. Most people will spend more than that on just rent, let alone rent utilities, internet, and whatnot. And there, there are multiple ways to bring that cost down. And that's why I talk about, you know, the more you change as a person and, and prioritize your money spending, the cheaper you can make it, and the more networking you do too. Sure. Uh, what you know, so, you stay with. Well, you're getting into cost for one particular year. What what do you think, or what do you know, is your largest uh, is your largest expense throughout the year? Uh, probably food, honestly. Really? See, I would have thought like like uh, fuel or in motorcycle insurance. I thought that would have been the most. You know, funny enough, talking to AJ, you know, AJ used to be in the army and when he was going to work, <clears throat> he would ride. And he racked up way more miles commuting than he did when he retired. And don't get me wrong, I mean, he had the 173,000 mile Harley that was four years old before he got T-boned. He can do some serious mileage, but a lot of people don't recognize that, you know, when you're on the road, there's a lot of days you just don't ride. Whereas if you're working, you're going out five days a week and you're racking up miles. So, you know, really the, the, the yearly mileage for most vagabonds is not that high. Really? I would see. Not, I would have thought the exact opposite. You know, because, yeah, because I think the, the mentality is because you are a vagabond and you live on your motorcycle, you are moving all the time because you have to go from where you are to your next destination. But most people don't think, and, and it, it doesn't dawn on anybody to think that, well, you got to sit still for a few time, few days at least, at least to recharge and maybe make some money, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're making money or, you know, you're staying with friends and you stay for two or three days or you find a nice campground and you just want to hang out there. Or even if you do ride every day, maybe you're only going three hours. You know, maybe you're only going 100 miles to the next location. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of factors into how much you're actually racking up the difference is instead of on your on your map going back and forth over the same road you know fifty thousand times your map looks like you know one giant circle but you know um most of my years aren't much over twenty thousand. that's a lot of miles that is a lot of okay. miles. <laughs> i don't consider that a lot well put it this way to your average person like myself for example you know twenty thousand miles a year is is quite a bit is a lot to your average rider you know is somebody like who works a full-time gig may may definitely not top that i mean at one time the highest mileage i re, I, I got was like twelve thousand miles in one year and that was just from commuting back and forth to work for nearly an entire year right and since i i, I didn't i haven't done that in quite a while i think my biggest year that i've had was last year for example i was like 75 almost 8,000 miles for the year that now. And I don't, I don't, I don't think that was a lot either, but 20,000. Well, you know, our country is actually only about 3,500 miles coast to coast. Right. This you know, true. it's actually, I mean, it's, it's, we have a big country. We have a beautiful country. I have no doubt, but it's actually not that many in the numbers. Yeah. It's all the things you do on the side, you know? And so because financing is such the, the biggest question, page seven is where I break down a, you know, a potential, um, budget, and so I actually work out fuel. If you do twenty thousand miles as a as a vagabond in a year, 
you divide that by your low average miles per gallon. So say if you get 50 miles per gallon and then you times that by how many, you know, your most expensive gallon, which that's, you know, that changes each year. And I put sure. 350 on there. That's only $1,400 in gas. I mean, of course, you've got 20,000 miles. You probably have at least two rears. You know, the first rear you start out on and one in the middle. Um, most people can make one front tire last that whole time. And then you've got oil changes every three to three to five to 10,000 miles, depending on your bike. But, you know, think about eating. You know, if you spend $12 a day eating, which $12 a day, most people are like, <laughs> I can't even sit down <laughs> to one meal for $12. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but $12 a day for 365 days is $4,380. Wow. See, you don't think about that. Most people don't think about that. And when you're doing on the road, you know, depending on your food requirements, you can do $12. You can go to a grocery store. You can buy a salad kit for, you know, four or five bucks. You can buy their hot, like a lot of Piggly Wigglies and Kroger's and even Walmart. They have the one meat, two sides for, you know, five, six, maybe seven or eight bucks. Yeah, yeah, And then the rest of your food budget for that day is that you bought this giant bag of trail mix. You just grab a handful when you're hungry or (laughs) you bought a banana and some yogurt for breakfast or something. Wow. See? You know, the funny thing is, like, I, okay, I went to Sturgis last year. I thought that my biggest expense would be the fuel. And my fuel cost me nearly 500 but the food expense cost me nearly six. Wow. I so, mean, that's not bad, actually, for the yeah. time. But you were probably riding almost every day, right? Yes, I was. Every single day. Yes. All day. All day. <laughs> and even coming, even, like, to and from Sturgis. Again, you're you're on the you're riding every single day, gas and food. That was the biggest yeah. thing, you know. Uh, now, let's, we another section you went to is about personal safety. Uh, That'd be chapter two. Yeah, and so I, I know it's I, and I, and again, you have to be concerned about not just your personal safety, but also about your health. This includes eating properly. Now, I, I know it's been four years since, but how did the pandemic? affect your vagabond lifestyle so that that's actually quite the funny story now at least and i mean i find it funny because well i'm not going to go stress myself out over things that are in the past at this point but when i hit the road in 2016 everyone's like you're you're my hero you're living the dream you're a badass you know i'm this like i'm superman at this point you know i've done this thing i've walked away from most of society i'm not saying I'm outside of society. I still need gas. You know, I still need sure, food. I'm not yeah, living yeah, in the yeah. woods. But I'm not following the rat race that everyone's been prescribed to follow since their childhood. I didn't do the house. I don't have the cars and the children and the college and all the debt and all those things that they're always encouraging. So, you know, I'm, I'm being a little different here. And when COVID happened, and, and it, this is a glorified homelessness. People don't understand when you're a vagabond. I mean, I chose this life. I wasn't forced into it like a lot of people. And you know, people like Bob Wells, the cheap RV living, he actually started his podcast to help people who became homeless, not by choice, but by force, you know, something bad happened in their life. But being a vagabond and choosing this life, you know, it's still a glorified homelessness. Yeah. And people were telling me, you need to get off the road. And I'm like, and do what? <laughs> Impose myself on someone? Just some random person? Because, like, you know, even if I have friends, they don't want to see my ass in their house for a month. <laughs> No, like, I'm not entitled to their place, you know, so I can't just stop and not travel. It's like literally I can't just all of a sudden be in a house because a virus has gone around the world. Right. I'm still homeless. 
And so, and technically, I call myself house free because homelessness has this negative to it. It's I've chosen to be without a sticks and bricks. Yeah. You know, my house is on the road. It's the motorcycle, my camping gear. But I can only be in places for so long without, you know, even National Forest, it's 14 days. Yeah. And they shut down campgrounds across the country. They were kicking RVers out down in Arizona, and they were all lined up along I-10. They had nowhere to go. Yeah, which baffled the crap out of me. You know, I I don't want to get too much into it, but here you are out inside, and you're in the fresh air, and there's hardly anybody around you, but they're going to tell you to get out because why <laughs> right why you know they, actually aj was out camping during covid and it was he was like two or three days after the news had broke and he didn't know what was going on and a ranger came out and found him and told him he can't be out there camping they shut down the blm land in i think utah he was in or whatever and he's like so you're telling me you came all the way out here to tell me about a virus going between people and that i'm dangerous out here you just brought the virus to me if you have it. <laughs> I was fine. Yeah, exactly. That's like they were closing the beaches in New Jersey. And we were like, why? <laughs> There's nobody here. <laughs> right? So it made no sense. But anyway, um, I mean, but, but do you do you come across other vagabonders who are uh, who are maybe like carrying carrying a weapon or is that something you do? Um, should be a second. I want to finish the, I didn't quite finish the, like I was the hero. COVID made me a villain. Right. I had people, um, messaging me and telling me I need to shut down bunker biker. I need to, you know, I, I, I'm a bad person. I need to stop traveling. And then within a year, right. people stopped looking at me hostily and they were looking at me with longing. Like they wish they could go ahead and go out and enjoy their life. Cause they just spent a whole summer doing nothing. Sure. So I became like the anti-hero and I'm Deadpool. <laughs> I'm doing the thing that like needs to be done. <laughs> You're Deadpool. <laughs> well, he's still killing people, but he's killing bad people that no yeah, one wants, right. anyways. But anyways, uh, that that's the end of the the COVID thing. But as far as weapons, um, I do not carry a firearm. Right. As far as being a vagabond, that really limits your traveling abilities. Like you can't just cross into countries when you have that. Right. It's a big concern because a lot of states don't have reciprocity with each other. Right. And it's. Uh, it's another thing to take care of. You know, if that thing falls out while you're standing around, then you, you know, that's actually illegal. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, you know, you, 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 it's brandished in some way. Someone can see the outline. It's getting wet. You're sweating on it all day because it's in the waistband. <laughs> you're sweating on it all day. <laughs> it's, it's starting to rust. You know, there's, there's, it's a big consideration. And I do talk a little bit about that in the book. And I'm like, you know what? There are a lot of people out there who can give way better advice on how to travel with a firearm than me, go right. find them. I'm not against it if that's what you think you need. But honestly, you know, you can avoid most situations by using your brain. Sure. Just don't get into them to begin with. And, right. that you know, that's one of AJ's, you know, my partner, which, he, funny enough, he's like a ghostwriter for this book. It's my seven years, and it's his five years. Um, but I quoted a, a couple of his things in there. He just doesn't want recognition, you know, on the book. Right. Um, he's like, if there's a gun in the situation and I need a gun, I will have the gun by the end of the conversation. But I got to ask myself, how did I get there to begin with? Right. Wow. Damn. All right. Well, it, you know, it makes it makes perfectly good sense. And, and you also point out the, the thing that also is to be smart. Right. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're, you're going to find yourself in danger. 
Absolutely. And unfortunately, I've seen enough people carrying firearms that probably shouldn't have that it gives them a false bravado. Yeah. And they pick the fight bigger instead of, you know, trying to get the <laughs> de-escalate the fight. Yeah, I know you're bigger than I am, but we're going to we're going to go at it anyway. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Um, in the book, you discuss meeting other vagabonds. Does that happen often? I usually meet a couple per year. Uh, I have some that reach out with me on, on Facebook. Um, a lot of my my followers like to call me a queen, vagabond queen. Really? Yeah, it's oh. it's a joke, but look at you getting a, them, look at you getting a big title like that. <laughs> I know. I, I just prefer HMFIC, but uh, yeah, no, I, I get tagged and I talk to someone online, and I always say, you know, if you're interested in doing it, I I will make an, an hour of my life to talk to you and answer your questions. And that's how I start mentoring people. And then I meet some along the way. You know, I run my little rallies, and usually a one or two each year show up to that at least. Right. Well, what kind, what kind of vagabonds do you usually meet? There are different types, I imagine. There are different types. Um, not very many that are going to make it past the year mark, usually. Oh, really? You can tell? Yeah. Really? Normally. It, it would be very shocking to see anyone that I thought wasn't going to make it actually make it past that year. Now, what, what, the what, year what, is the break. No. Well, what, it's, the, what, it's the break point. Oh yeah. What's well? What's what's your what's your determining factor to go like? Yeah, this guy's going home soon. Their attitude. Oh, really? You have to adjust. Being on the road is a lifestyle. It's not a big party. You know, I mean, a lot of vagabonds are out there drinking and doing drugs all all the time. Like, you can't keep that up for a long time, man. I promise. That burnout comes quick. It does. And then uh, you know, the, a lot of what people hit the road for, and I know I talk about the reasons why someone hits the road in chapter. Oh, why are you on the road and where to go in chapter three? So the reason they hit the road, you know, they're trying to figure themselves out. They're trying to find a new place. Everything wrong with their life was where they were living and the people around them, mm-hmm. which I'm not going to say that that can't be a problem. Maybe you really hate your state because it has snow and maybe you really hate the people you're around because you found yourself in a bad crowd. But a lot of people take the problems they're running from right to the next place they go. And, and I can see it in the way they talk, that they don't take accountability, right. that they are part of the problem. Right. They have to change. Right. Just going somewhere new is not going to fix your problems. It's it's fixing yourself first. And that's a lot of what I talk about this book is fixing yourself. And that's what happens when you're traveling like this. Yeah, because you have a lot of time by yourself. Right. You should. But there are a lot of travelers who, instead of spending that time on themselves, they're distracting themselves. Right. They go to campgrounds and they party. Oh, is, that what they, is that what a lot of these newbies view this as? Is it just a distraction from their current life? I don't know if they view it as a distraction, but that's how they end up treating it. Oh, that's what they use it as. Okay. I get you. Now, I, you know, I there's know a lot of things people can do. And, you know, I, I've met some along the way, and most of the stories in the book are actually um, what not to be. Okay. You know, I've met people who tell the story of they're always the victim. If I've heard three victim stories in a row, I, at this point, I don't trust you because we're all assholes sometimes, and we're the asshole. Right. Yeah. And I, when you can't admit that, you're not being true to yourself. You know, not being an asshole doesn't take some work. <laughs> so what you're saying is it's easier to be an asshole. <laughs> it is. Everyone wants to be Old Testament, but everyone wants everyone else to give them uh, another chance when they fuck up. Yeah, yeah. You know, out. you do something bad to me, and I want to burn the ground, burn you to the ground. But oh no, I, I messed up. Can you, can you like not be mad at me, and you know, not hold me accountable for what I just did? I, I'm trying really hard here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. No. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Um, 
how many new vagabonds versus well-seasoned vagabonds do you meet? Ver, you know, I, I mean, I meet very few that have been on the road a long time. Oh, and man. I'm going to very much say, like, because people are going to be over here, like, what about all these YouTube stars that are going around the world? There's Vagabond and there's RTW. RTW being around the world. You know, they're around yeah, the world yeah, riders. Yeah, right. And around the world riders, like, it's expensive. I've yeah. been to other countries and they are very expensive to get to. And the borders and the insurances. And the only thing cheaper in other countries is really just food for the most part. We have the like, cheapest gas. Besides yeah. the Middle East, honestly. Wow. And we have a lot of free options, whereas, you know, you pay, I pay nothing every day in the States to sleep. There are public lands everywhere and truck stops and rest stops and churches that, for the most part, you don't get harassed at. If all you're there is for six or eight hours to get some nap. But like in other countries, it, it can be really hard to camp. So even a $10 a night, it's $300 more a month that I didn't have to spend before. Right. Oh, wow. Wow. You don't think of that, you know? I, I do know that just shipping your bike from the states to the uk for example is tremendously expensive it's like two grand at yeah, least to go across continents at the point expensive. that you're spending to take one bike across you could go there and buy one <laughs> yeah you know I, I it's true you know but a lot of people say you know if i'm gonna go someplace i'm gonna bring my own bike but man oh man the cost to do that is just insane how many times have you bought that bike over by shipping it? And I understand that they, they want to be able to say this thing, but like these these RTWs going to every continent, that's at least ten grand just moving that thing across the, the water. Yeah. There's no there's no cheap way to do it. No. Not so there are there are lots of people, RTW, that have been on the road for years. Um, even those don't tend to last more than two. As far as vagabonds, uh, the burnout rate's about nine months, but very rarely do they get past twelve. And I tend to only meet a couple a year maybe one or two that have been on the road for a long time and it's even more rare if i didn't already know their name i mean there are some out there that aren't on social media i've met a few of those but usually they're on facebook i've seen them post they've seen me post you know there's not many of us out there that have made this the forever lifestyle because most people when they hit the road they're looking for something and they tend to find it within that year and they stop and that's okay you know it's not being hierarchical at all right. when i hit the road i found out my answer was the road not a new place, not a relationship, not, you know, changing myself enough to, you know, move on with my life or get some experiences before I go off and settle into a, you know, a career. Right. No, it was the road. That was my answer. Wow. Yeah. It's getting out there, moving, keep moving. Now, this brings us to vagabonding with a partner. Now, in the beginning, you were solo, strictly solo, and now that's changed. So how does, how does that affect your vagabond lifestyle? Is it easier uh, with a partner or harder, or is it there's just this bizarre balance? It's a bizarre balance. Um, <laughs> and I am very lucky that AJ and I are, we both have spent a lot of years of our life learning to be self-aware. Because spending time with someone that much, yeah. the more you know about yourself, the better your relationship is going to be with them. Right. And so, like, we hated each other the first year and actually didn't spend a lot of time together our first year dating. Really? And this this last year was the first year we spent tremendous amount of time traveling together and didn't fight about it. Wow. So it took a lot. It took like three, like we've been dating almost four years now. So it took about two, two and a half of those years to actually get us together to sync up and not have these like problems. Because like, uh, I, I don't hear a lot of people actually tell me about how they enjoyed traveling with someone else. It's always, they were an asshole. They weren't ready when I was ready. You know, they wouldn't do what I wanted to do or I didn't want to go do what they wanted to do or, uh, you know, all kinds of they almost ran me over or they did run me over. I heard that one a couple of times. 
Now, do you think it would be easier if you have a couple that's together already and then decide to hit the road? Because I guess because they're more accustomed to each other. Is that no? No, no. And I talk about that in the book too. Like you're so you're married or you're dating. I've seen a lot of marriages end in divorce on the road. No way, really. So you have a relationship. You're you know you're dating someone. You have things in common at a house. Uh, say your partner's taking forever to get ready and you're going to the same place. You could take two different vehicles and meet there, but on the road, everyone wants to stay together. And you don't get this personal space. Like, you know, in a house, you could hang out in the living room, someone be in the bedroom. On the road, you're like always sharing campsites. You're always sharing hotel rooms. And you have your relationship issues of like, you know, maybe we haven't had sex in a long time and we're both fucking cranky because, well, we're dirty and that's nasty and we haven't had a shower. Or, you know, um... Inter- inter- the, the whole communication aspects between a man and a woman or two men or two men, whatever. And so, like, you have your relationship stresses. You know, every relationship, there's fighting. And then you go put yourself outside and put, get in survival mode where Mother Nature's trying to kill you. And you're on the move constantly. There's a lot of decisions to make. Yeah. And there's a lot more stresses on any kind of relationship on the road. Wow. Yeah. I, I can, you know, because I, I asked that because I, uh, I had uh, two up and overloaded on the show. Uh, have you, have you, you know of these two? It's a yeah, they post all over motorcycle camping constantly. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, uh, you know, they they both travel two up, obviously on one bike, and they've been all over the place. I think they're in Europe right now, and they seemed well balanced. So I guess it depends upon the couple, right? That's what I. It would does. Think. I think it would be that. Um, so it, 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 how long it, have they been on the road? Oh, I honestly, you know what? I, I don't, I don't recall what they said. It's been a while, though. Years. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so it sounds like they found their groove, but they're. I've seen the, yeah, I've seen a lot of those two upping that ends pretty badly. I mean, <laughs> that's literally like you have no space from each other ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. You're, you're not to butt all day, and then you're in the same tent all night. Get away from me! Right. <laughs> and part of like how I, I maintain it with relationship with AJ is that we both have separate gear. Right. We don't share gear. Every once in a while, we, you know, one of us will take out, or we'll, you know, I stay, he goes, he, you know, I, I go, he stays, or I go this way because I want to do something. He goes that way because he wants to do something else. And we meet up, you know, that night, a couple days later, a couple weeks later. We've spent months apart occasionally in our relationship. Oh, wow. How about that? To, you know, to achieve different goals. Like I did most of Mexico. I did one month in Mexico by myself and Central America by myself. And then he did one month with me coming back in Mexico. Wow. And that, and that, there's no stress on the relationship in that way, is there? There is stress. I mean, oh, yeah. the distance, you know, like, yeah, so we're either together 100% or together not at all. Right. And, you know, like, uh, just having to make time for phone calls. It's right. it's a little easier to talk to each other at the gas station when they're there. But to find, you know, he's doing stuff, I'm doing stuff, trying to get schedules lined up to make time to talk to each other and tell each other about the day and, you know, see how each other's doing. It's still stressful. Oh, wow. Okay. We're gonna let's let's move on to the the camping aspect, which is, uh, which I felt that, uh, was very quite interesting because I you know I've camped and I, I know how to camp, so but here's the question I have to ask you now, how would you think that you got a novice motorcyclist, but they have extensive camping experience, and now you have a an experienced motorcyclist, but is a novice camper. How do those two fare against each other? You know, that'd be an interesting question. I have seen them happen. Um, For everything you know when you hit the road, that's one less stress of learning it on the road. 
Yeah. So I think they they might even actually work out somewhat the same. I would say, if anything, you'd be better off hitting the road as a better rider than a better camper. Um, because riding is dangerous. I've seen a lot of people who get their motorcycle endorsement and decide to ride around the world the next day. <laughs> like they've never ridden before, and I'm like, there's a lot of things you can learn before you hit the road that make it easier, and being yeah. a good, competent rider is the first thing I'm going to say. Because right. like, not only are you taking that motorcycle in places that it probably wasn't designed, so you take a dual sport, it can go off-road, but it's not meant to be in the highway forever. Or, you, you know, you have your road bike that you're taking off-road. So that takes an extra set of skills to use a tool not designed for its purpose. But you're also putting a lot of fucking weight on that damn thing, and it, and it operates differently then. Yeah. And you probably don't know how to fix it. <laughs> and you probably don't know how to do anything to it. So, like, yep. the number one thing, um, like, before you hit the road, if you can, your bike is the most important. Be a good rider. Take classes. Yeah. And then you can learn camping along the way. I mean, essentially, camping is sleeping outside. It doesn't have to be difficult or complicated. No, it's not. Now you, you, you stay you, dry. You do talk about uh, the cowboy campers, okay? Which I have heard of, and I have never seen. Do you come across a lot of cowboy campers? And explain what a cowboy camper is. Cowboy camping is laying on the ground without a tent or shelter and just sleeping. And I actually am a cowboy camper. It is my secondary method. Are you? Yep, I sleep on the ground next to my bike all the time. If I am too lazy to put gear up or I just want to ride, I'm just in that mood to keep riding. Uh, you know, it's it's summertime, you know, imagine it's summertime. I put my tarp down and I put my hoodie down for a pillow and I just go to sleep on that. Wow, okay. Do you make like a little tent off of your bike, like a little lean-to thing and do that? Only if it's going to rain. Oh, That's okay. a lot of extra effort. Otherwise, I can just fold that thing up in the morning <laughs> yeah, and put it in the so, bike. Actually, it's so hard to take a tarp and throw it over your bike. It's so It's time-consuming. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm lazy. You know, that extra 30 seconds just really just ruins your day. <laughs> I'm telling you, though, you do a lean-to to your bike wrong, and you're having a bike slam on you, or you're still getting wet anyways. Yeah, that's true. And what am I protecting myself from if I put a lean-to up? It's not going to stop the creepy crawlies, and if it's not going to rain, what do I need it for? Well, you know, this, I guess it's that, that comfort thing of feeling like you're cocooned and all that crap, you know. Have you That's ever, a false sense of security. Yeah, pretty, well, And I don't have that. <laughs> well, you know. It is. Have you ever... Uh, now, I've slept on my bike at just like if I'm, if I'm waiting for somebody or if I'm at a rally whatever i'll kick back on the bike and take a nap on the bike have you ever done that no no i, I can't i can't do the sit, the sitting position i i gotta lay down oh really oh so well because i can recline on my bike that's a different story i can recline way back put my feet up on the bars and just nap out like well i can sleep anywhere it doesn't matter anyway but and i know on your bike <laughs> on your bike you probably can't do that no, both of my bikes, all of my bikes always stand up too too straight. So you, you tilt a little too far one way and it's going over. <laughs> um, what do you say to the novice camper about being, Your most pre report, being cheap gear doesn't Cheap gear does not work in the long run, especially if you're going to be a vagabond. You're using it as a you, – you've passed hobbyist and professional at this point. You need good gear. Um, you're never going to waste money on gear, and you're never going to complain that you were warm and dry. That's true too. That's right. What about the uh, what about the overpacker? So I talk about <laughs> minimalism in the book because that's actually something I'm known for. You know, the minimalist motorcycle vagabond group I run, and motorcycle vagabond is kind of my brand at this point. Um, obviously, I named the book after it, 
And I wanted, I like to use the archaic words like epiphanies. People don't use that anymore. But anyways, so the people who overpack and we all do it and anyone's over there judging, I, I need you to wipe that shit off your face because we all did it. <laughs> don't act like you're better than us. We all put our pants on one leg at a time. Right. Um, the secret to minimalism is paying attention to what you're using. Um, everyone says that you lay your stuff out before you hit the road and you cut it in half. No, absolutely not. Until you have to pack that shit over and over and your bike is heavy and you get tired of it, that is the point that you are willing to take it off your bike. Yeah. And everyone gets there differently. Take everything you think you need, you know, I'm needing with air quotes right now, and go out there and do it, and you will find pretty quickly that you're going to mail a whole box of stuff back because you, you don't need it that much because you're tired of seeing it. You're tired of trying to find a space for it. Yeah. It's heavy. You know, I, I, I've gone through it. You know, my pack is – I actually went from a lot of gear to way too little gear, and then I found this, like, happy medium. You know, I went kind of to, to both extremes, but it's something that you have to experience for yourself. Right. Some people take a little longer. Some don't. And some, like, I found people that they think they need something that I'm just like, that's really weird. But you know what? Go for it. If you're willing to make space for it, that's the most important part. If it's worth the space, worth packing, and the worth weight on the bike. What about the items that fall into that, I don't need it now, but I might need it. What about those things? Most people have a might for about a year. <laughs> just a year? Yeah. Well, you you look at that thing and you're like, I haven't might needed that damn thing for a year. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. The only exception being a first aid kit. If I haven't used that in seven years, I'm doing good with my life, but I'm still going to keep the first aid kit. <laughs> yeah. How many pounds of gear do you think you carry on your bike? Oh, I'm, I weighed my gear a couple years ago. It was about 90 pounds between no three bags. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, funny enough, though, out of that 90 pounds, this was my 350 setup. Um, so I, I carry less of my verses because I need less tools. But I just my I, I have uh, two toolkits for my 350. And I have tools strapped over the bike too, and I didn't count those. But I carry 25 pounds in tools and parts. Wow! Holy crap! I, I work on my bike a lot on the 350. Like I said, for the verses, I cut a lot of that out. But as far as like my camping gear, most of my weight, like my camping gear is lightweight. I have very nice camping gear because I really like staying warm and dry. Yeah. Um, but really nice camping gear also is that most of it's the, from the hiking community. Um, the other big thing for my weight as an industry professional, you know, I have a career in this thing. You know, I run networks and all that. And obviously I'm an author. Is my damn laptop and electronics. Yeah. They take up a lot of space and a lot of weight. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> it's funny is because I was, I was thinking about this when you were talking about the gear, camping gear and all that stuff like that. And then I, I thought, well, when I went to Sturgis, and I rode out there. I rode from North Carolina out to Sturgis and back. I had 72 pounds of luggage on my bike. And that That's was... That's not bad. And here's the thing. But, and you know what? I realized when I got back, as I'm unpacking, I'm like, and, and while I was there, I didn't need this. I didn't need that. I didn't need this. I didn't use this. I didn't... And I, I packed far more than I needed. Um, but then when you start talking about well, tools and your camping gear. So I probably, I, I definitely overpacked. And if I was camping, I would have been way over a hundred pounds easily. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, and that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of crap. 
<laughs> it is. And everyone's like, well, I've got the bags for, especially people who hit the road with a cruiser, you know, a heavy bagger. They have tons of space. You know, you don't have to fill it. Just just saying this. You don't have to exactly. fill it. Oh, I filled it. You know, I've seen the Harleys, you know, like you guys have big saddlebags, big trunks, and then they have something in the back seat and on top of the trunk, and it's like all the way up to their head. And I'm like, Ooh, I hope you pay attention to what you use and don't use and start whittling that down. Well, I had two saddlebags full. I had a tour pack on the on the back rack, and then I had two additional bags on the seat, all full. <laughs> you know? That's not bad. You had like five bags and 72 pounds. That means each bag didn't weigh a lot. They were just fluffy. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I overpacked with clothes, though. That's one of the things I did overpack. I overpacked with Everyone- clothes. Everyone overpacks clothes. You know, everyone's used to having that closet full of stuff. Yeah. And that probably is the easiest one you could actually cut in half. Like, I only carried one pair of pants for a long time. I have two pairs of pants now. I'm, I'm wow, look myself. at you. You're expanding. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I've expanded. Like, I, I went from uh, the minimalist pad that I could, like the mummy size pad for sleeping yeah. on the ground, to now I have the little extra wide rectangle one. <laughs> it's not totally <laughs> big, but to me, that's a luxury. That is a luxury that I went... You know, a little bit bigger for that. A little extra space. Yeah. You know what a lot of people don't think of those, even though you're vagabond. You don't need, you know, 12 pairs of underwear because there are laundromats. You know, you There are. And there's places like Bunker Biker where you go stay with someone for, you know, stay with someone once a week. Yeah. And, you know, whether it be a friend or a family member or a Bunker Biker or even just go to the, the truck stop and use the laundry services. One week of clothes. If you can wear the same pants or two pairs of pants over that time. You know, you're going to wear a shirt at least twice, you know, two day, two or three days, depending on how hot it is. And then, you know, a couple pairs of shorts for when you're not riding. You know, make sure you can, you know, breathe out the bits. That's yeah. important. But Would you say that, the, the, well, the camping aspect of it, is that the hardest part of vagabonding? No, the hardest part of vagabonding is having fun doing it. Oh, really? Why would that be the hardest part? Um, People rush. They stress themselves out over it. They don't adapt to the lifestyle. You have to change a lot of mentality to be on the road and actually have fun doing it. Most of the vagabonds I meet, aren't. they don't look like that. And I didn't have fun my first two years either. I was miserable. I was miserable for reasons other than my life. But, you know, there's a lot of enjoying the road that has to be your mind. Like, people get really, really wrapped up. You know, they get wrapped around the axle that they couldn't do what they wanted to do because it was snowing or it was cold or it was raining. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fun. They're, you know, they're pissed off that they didn't make that. Or, you know, they they feel like they're under a rush. They got to keep going. You know, the, the, a life of Ameri- the American life is always about scheduling as much as possible. And when you're a vagabond, you can slow down. But when you don't slow down, it's stressful. You know, you wake up disoriented because you've changed locations every day for seven months. Yeah. You know, so like there's a lot of like a lot of misery on the road if you don't actually change yourself when you're doing this lifestyle. And that's the hardest part is actually enjoying it. And if you're going to stay on the road, sustaining it. You know, being able to make it something that you're not just surviving, you're thriving. Right. Wow. Well, moving that as part of that aspect is the hard part. Uh, financing this kind of a thing. How do you, as a vagabond, finance the lifestyle? So, and this isn't in the chapter. This is very much my situation. And I explain in the book, there's no super secret that everyone can do. Right. Um, I have a lot of ways I make money. Um, sometimes I'm at someone's house and they, you know, they need some help around the yard. And I, I love doing yard work, so I do it. 
And they send me off with 40 or 60 or even 100 bucks worth, you know, for my time. I didn't ask. You know, they were hosting me. I was very happy just to have hosting and dinner. But, you know, people will support you when you're doing these things and you have a good attitude and you're helpful. You know, I've had people say, you know, if you come over, I've got specific jobs for you or I've got friends who have businesses that I go and work with them. I know how to build fences now because I know someone who has a fencing company. Mm. Um, I sell product online. And because I run big communities like Bunker Biker and MMV, uh, I can sell products. You know, I've got my own fan base. I can sell, you know, I'm selling the book. I'm hoping to eventually make that in some type of, you know, sustainability. Um, I've got 50,000 people in Bunker Biker. I'm not saying I even make minimum wage for, you know, like I don't make that much per month. But, you know, this lifestyle can be affordable. So I keep my costs down by changing the way I spend money and making enough. And I've always just said I, I don't really actually micromanage my money. Um, I, I do say that, like, when AJ met me in 2017, I was doing such bare minimum to, that I was, like, trying to make my money go as far as possible. And that's really important to do. But if you cut out everything that you enjoy, it's not worth doing anymore. Right. So my budget kind of went a little higher. I started putting in money for, like, museum entrances and, you know, a little bit nicer meals occasionally, eating better. And that really improved traveling. But so, like I said, I, I do a lot of different things to make money. And if someone's like, hey, I got this thing. And I'm like, yeah. And then I have a lot of skills. I Like, before I hit the road, I was a very... Um, restless person. If I got good at a job, I went and found another one because I got bored. So I got a little electrical, a little plumbing. I can do, I used to do conveyor maintenance. You know, I used to do security. I can fix computers. You know, I've, I've helped people, you know, build up their, their uh, uh, home PCs. You know, I can do drivers and, and uh, software. I can do graphic designing. You know, there's all kinds of things that I've developed skills in that I had before I hit the road. And then I'm just willing to say yes. Yeah. You know, I'm willing to shake someone's hand, look them in the eye and be like, I'll be there in the morning and we'll get this job done. So do you do so do you take on these side jobs when they're offered to, to you or do you just travel to a point where, OK, I need to make some money? At the beginning, I traveled until I needed to make some money and I went to a temp agency and I got a job. And even this is before I even had a following. Someone had I'd met someone along the way, he had a spare room. He let me stay in it for a few months while I made money. You know, there are a lot of people that live alone and a little company every once in a while is nice and they're willing to support you by, you know, giving you a place so you can work. So I did that a couple of times. And then as I, you know, started meeting more people on the road and getting more opportunities, I always say yes now. I may not need the money now, right. but the opportunity is now. Right. And I can just save that for later. Sure. Yeah, because of course, now you have the cash available and it's not, it's, it doesn't become so uh, a sense of urgency to, to do yeah. something like that. Well, that's great. That's great stuff. And I, I also don't let my money burn a hole in my pocket. Yeah. Just because I earned money when I didn't need it doesn't mean I need to go blow it either. Right, because you know you're going to need it down the road. Now, now, as far as it goes for that, so that means you have to maintain a bank account and you have to maintain a mailing address also. So how does a vagabond <laughs> do that? Uh, essentially, to be a vagabond, you are going to be illegal. I mean, you have to lie about addresses. So you're going to maintain <laughs> residency somewhere. Um, a lot of people from the Northeast, they'll find somewhere else. If you have no friends or family that you were willing to use their address, and there are some states, like I have an Arizona driver's license, they don't care what the address is on. They didn't they didn't ask for shit. They just gave me a driver's license. Like I just moved it over there. They didn't they did not care. So like there are states that you can move your residency to very easily. Um, in Arizona, your driver's license is good until you're 65, so I don't have to worry about it. And I'm not it's not gonna expire while I'm out of country. Um, but South Dakota is the easiest answer. It's about 120 bucks, 150 bucks a year, maybe. It might have gone up less than 200, 
that you pay you so you spend one night in south dakota that proves your residency and then you pay this company and they provide you a address and they'll register your vehicles they will send you your tags and your mail anytime you call and ask them and that's how you can stay legal on the road in one place I, i'm kind of all over the place i've got friends who let me use their address but essentially i'm just you know you got to use something right wow so that's very interesting and then again with again with a um with a bank account because you obviously need money there you got to find a bank that's available everywhere in the country or just a card that works everywhere i mean yeah. most banks atms will take any atm will take your card and you, you got to pay the fee if you have to you have to suck, oh, suck, yeah. you have something you got to suck it up right <laughs> <laughs> just you gotta suck it up. Cash App is actually a good option for now until that right. changes. But Cash App is a is an easy option for using. Um, it does not work internationally, but in the country, right. Cash App is a great option. You don't have to prove anything. They don't give a shit. Right. And it's a card you can use. Um, and then once you so setting up the account for a bank is the hard part. Once you have it, like I've just never updated my address with it. You know, it's right. it's wherever it's set at. <laughs> So how how many years have you been doing the vagabond thing? Start to, to now. Seven years. Seven years. It was seven years back in August. So actually, uh, I'm coming up on my birthday, so that'd be my half mark. Wow. So seven and a half year almost in February. Wow. No, did is it one of these things where you wake up and you're like, I can't believe I'm living like this? You know, did you ever do that? Every once in a while, I yeah. actually had that. Just, you know, I I didn't think I'd make it this far either. I didn't. I knew that first week when I hit the road, this was what I wanted to do. I was I was that kid in high school. I was like, I look at all these kids, and they're like, I want to be doctors, and I want to be veterinarians, and I want to be a, a lawyer or, you know, whatever they say they want to be. And I was like, eh, college is a farce. I figured that out in middle school. Like, just advanced daycare. They charge a lot of money for <laughs> And I love education. I, 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 I learn a lot. Recently. I do learn a lot on my own. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know. I just don't like, you know, I go and read educational stuff. Silence Daily is a great place. You know, BBC, keep it up with the world news and all those fun things. And so it's not like I'm anti-education. I'm just anti-paying someone for a piece of paper to tell me that I, I'm educated. Right. <laughs> um, so I knew I didn't want to do college at a very young age. And I was like, I don't know. And so I just went into the working world as soon as I turned 18. Actually, I was I was working night shift before I even finished high school. Wow. And I was a dispatcher for a security company. You know, just a weird shit I do. I've done. <laughs> um <laughs> And so, you know, I just kind of floated around for the first six years of my adult life, you know, 18 to 24. Uh, my grandmother, I was trying to take care of her. She went psycho as hell. And uh, I, I tried to stay around because she couldn't do it. You know, someone takes weapons at you. It's time to leave. That, and I was <laughs> yeah, in a very bad I place. Think. <laughs> uh, wow. So, you know, I eventually I had to walk away from all that. And my mom's a meth head. So there, that wasn't even a consideration. She hadn't been in my life my entire life. And so I hit the road at 24. And uh, that first week, I made all kinds of gloriously stupid, naive mistakes, and I loved it. I loved the challenge of it. I loved what the road gave me. It's it's the best teacher. It's the best way to refine yourself. Yeah. It is like a sharpening stone that you can take your knife and you can run the blade straight down it, make it dull as hell, or you can you know you can use it and actually refine yourself to be the best you you can be. Because yeah. traveling is just amazing. But it's best to do this kind of thing with some sort of skill. Yeah, I'd say you probably should have a couple skills. Yeah, should have some skills. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'd hate to see some people that I know who decide <laughs> to take on that kind of life that have no skills whatsoever. Uh, they would last twenty four hours, maybe. 
(laughs) Even without skills, it's a lot of the attitude. You know, people ask me all the time, and most people talk about this life, and they they talk about doing it, and they don't. You have to have the personality that you're going to be headfirst into this. You are going to figure it out as you go, because shit's going to change. I don't care who you talk to before you hit the road. I don't care how many YouTube videos you watch. I don't care how many books you read, even my book. My book's only giving you some ideas to think about. Yeah. You know, I'm not giving you answers. There's no secret in my book. But, you know, it gives you it gives you some couple of things to think about that you don't know you should think about before you hit the road. But you just have to go out. You have to have that the gumption just to step into it and do it and, and learn along the way. That's the yeah. only way this is going to work. Wow. Yeah, that's right. You're absolutely right. Now, let's talk about your, your book. Uh, how can people get your book? You can find my book on ztraveler.com slash epiphanies, or you can just go to ztraveler.com, and the book title is at the top. It's like the only page I have finished on it right now because I had to move <laughs> website hosting. Yeah. Um, so I have a, a friend who mails them for me, and this is the whole networking thing. I, I cannot mail all the time. I can't carry these books. They're, they're large books. They are 8.5 by 11, thick stock photo paper, full color, like 200 pictures, 60,000 words. It's a little bit of a chunky book. So I have friends that mail them for me. You can order a physical copy on there or it, right there on the webpage. You can download it as an ebook, PDF, or, or EPUB. Uh, and that's pretty much the, the ways I do it. I do have an audiobook. I, I did the speaking for it. I just haven't finished editing it yet. Oh, okay. So I was going to ask you that if you're going to do an audiobook version of it. Oh, and you have, but we're not. Oh, so it's not available yet. Awesome. And I guess it'll be available on Audible and all that stuff, right? Yeah, I'm not sure how I'm going to sell it yet. Um, I got to look into all that. I don't know. I might. I may even just tack it onto that thing I'm selling the ebook through and be like, you know, there's ten bucks for the ebook and the audiobook. Yeah. And I did the speaking for it, and it starts out with motorcycle vagabond epiphanies by Z Traveler, also narrated poorly by Z Traveler. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> You know, so I did do it, you know, and, and you, if you, if it sucks at the beginning, just keep going. Cause like I get better throughout the chapters, you know, I, I kind of find my pace and figure out what I'm doing. Yeah. So it is my first audiobook, And like I said, I, I sat down for like a week and a half and recorded the whole thing. And I just got to sit down and edit it, which is going to take me like a month. Right. How did, uh, how did you record it? Uh, I used uh, Audacity, and okay. I bought a like forty dollar. It's called like a Snowball or something yeah, on, yeah. on Amazon. Okay, and it actually sounds pretty great. It, it works really good for being a little cheap microphone. So okay. I just Audacity. Used that. Audacity is wonderful. It, I use that for the podcast. Yeah, no, it's a free. It works tool. Great. I mean, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how can people learn more about you and what you're up to next? So the only thing I really do is Facebook. Um, I do have an Instagram. You can follow it. I don't post there. Um, I really am not in the habit of posting cross-platform. Uh, Facebook, since I do the community thing, um, I always call Instagram. They're whack shows. Everyone's going <laughs> to you know whack off and everyone's going to watch each other. But you don't bring people together on Instagram. Yeah. It's very much the you're the star of the show. And I, I just, yeah. not my thing. <laughs> Whereas, you know, I do most of my stuff on Facebook. So you can find me at Z Traveler, Z-E-E Traveler. Uh, just look me up on Facebook. You can follow me. You can friend me until I run out of friend spaces. Uh, and that's pretty much it. And it's all over there. Uh, eventually, I, I hopefully get the website up to date. But yeah, <laughs> no promises when that's going to happen. Oh, you got nothing else to do, right? <laughs> now, being homeless, man, I'm telling you, it's like retiring. You, you think you're going to have all this free time. I am a busy individual. Yeah, 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 you know, it's, I, I, there's a phrase we have is I may be retired, but I'm not done. <laughs> <laughs> 
awesome. <laughs> well, you know, you're on the road, and people are like, well, you don't have a job. And I'm like, yeah, but when you're around people, do you want to ignore them to play on your phone? Yeah, you want to hang out with people you're around, you know? I, I go to events. I, I, you know, you do fun stuff and, you know, stay at people's houses. And then, you know, you're sitting at a gas station. Is that really the best place to whip out a laptop? Well, you got to remember that. Even though you are traveling and meeting people, you still have Bunker Biker to manage. You still have, I do. You still have uh, this other book you're working on. And, of course, you know, you got, uh, well, you got, you got other things you have to keep up on as well. So, yeah, I can understand you're going to be busy all the time. Get that second book done. <laughs> you know, I'm a good heathen. Uh, there's a modern heathen thing about being, you know, the, the nine noble virtues. And one of them is industriousness. And I'm very much an industrious person. I like to be busy. I like to make stuff. I love yeah. content creation. Yeah. So if I don't have anything going on, I'll find something to be going on. Yeah. You, got, you don't have a YouTube channel, do you? I do have a YouTube oh, channel. Yeah. It's got like four videos. Of, <laughs> so Moto Giant, he was like, see, you've got to do a YouTube channel. If you did it, you would be the only woman out there who's actually doing cool shit. Everyone else on YouTube, all they do is stay at hostels and you know, over-dramatize how dangerous it is where they're at, and they just whine all the time. But you're out there sleeping at truck stops and shit. You know, if you just did it, people would follow it. I'm like, Don, I'm so tired. You know what? All right, Don, I will make a couple videos, okay? And prove to you no one's going to watch them. And no one did. Uh, most of my videos on my YouTube is uh, Bunker Biker how-to videos. Right. Well, I, yeah, no, that, that works too. You know. <laughs> all right, so any last words to those who may want to become a motorcycle vagabond? Man, buy good gear and don't fight, fight Mother Nature because you're going to be her bitch. She's going to tell you where you can and can't go. And number one and two advice I always tell the vagabonds, buy good gear. Yeah. Don't buy it on Amazon and Walmart. Yeah, of course. Well, oh, you know what? One more question on one day. Where's your, where's your favorite place to camp and where is the worst place you've camped? Ooh. Ooh, favorite place is like part of the country or forest. Like I, I like to be in forest. I'm a hammock camper, yeah. ideally. So when there's trees, I'm a happy person. So you want to be out in the middle of nowhere when you're camping. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I am. I do not like cities and do not like crowds. They're not my thing. So the more remote the area I'm in, the better I'm having a good time. Like going to Alaska was amazing. There's like nothing on the way. Yeah. Bears, just lots of bears. Um, as far as uh, the least favorite place, usually gravel, actually. And I don't really, um, that, oh, we, we slept at a truck stop in Southern California and there were crackheads there. They're like, so AJ and I kind of, we didn't plan it, but we kind of took turns. And this is the whole, like the joy of a partner is if you find a good partner and having that, being able to rely on them and trust them to do what you would do if you weren't there. Like when I'm in the bathroom, I know he'll protect our stuff. And when he's in the bathroom, I'll protect our stuff. You know, being able to rely on him, that's really important, but we slept at this truck stop and a uh, crackhead came over looking for a lighter, you know, in the middle of the night. So I ended up staying up a few hours while he slept. And then he got up and, you know, I, I looked up and the sun had come up. He's like, I got you, boo. Just, you know, I got you if you want to keep sleeping. So I was like, all right. <laughs> slept for like two hours in the, in the broad daylight. So I got someone watching out for me. Wow. That was a horrible place to sleep, though. I hate when there are crackheads around. <laughs> Well, say listen, I want to thank you very much for being on the podcast to tell us about your your book, Motorcycle Vagabond Epiphanies. And we're all waiting with bated breath for volume two. You, you want to know the uh, the name of my next book? Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. Moto Transient. Mo Ala Petamoto, Alaska. And I actually had to find out moto and transient, you know, 
because I, I did a lot of riding in that trip. You know, I didn't stay very long, so I, I transited through places on a motorcycle. Hey, hey, whatever works, right? <laughs> well, see, I'm real excited. I want to thank you very much for being on the podcast. You are, as always, a, a treat to speak with. And uh, I, I hope to talk to you again soon. And I, I wish you that, your, that your book does wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, that's all. I sold my first five copies this weekend at HangCon to people who didn't know me before. Wow. See? You know, I've always been concerned that the people buying it just because they're supporting me, they don't care what I'd make. I could sell something stupid and they'd still buy it. No. So I actually sold five to people who didn't know me, or they knew my name maybe. It's amazing how many people just know of me because of what I do. But yeah, yeah that, that's exciting. I crossed that line this yeah. weekend. Get your audio book up on Audible. That's, you got to do that. Get it up on Audible and then you'll you'll do you'll do great. And then you'll get Definitely. to go all these other things all right well thank you very much don't go anywhere i want to talk to you when we're done and uh well, we'll and i'd like to be in the show again after i get back from asia i'd love to talk to you about that oh, absolutely. in like june absolutely yes please all right we'll do that all right so you take care of yourself we'll talk to you soon you too right. The Motorcycle Man Podcast is supporting David's Dream and Belief Cancer Foundation. If you'd like to help those that are dealing with the hardships of cancer and see your money go to something that actually makes a difference for those people it affects, go to davidsdreamandbelief.org to donate. And the Gold Star Ride Foundation. We're helping families of fallen soldiers. If you'd like to be a part of a great cause and get some heartfelt wows in, get on over to goldstarride.org and learn how you can participate in the next Gold Star Ride. And we're helping long-haul Paul complete his mission to ride a million miles for MS. He was told years ago that a cure for MS was a million miles away. So he decided to ride that million miles for that cure. Now, you can help him by getting on over to longhaulpaul.com and donate to his quest for that cure for MS. Thank you for joining me and Z here in the V-Twin Cafe, where she told us about her new book. Now, you can learn more about Z and her book by getting on over to ztraveler.com. The links will be in the show notes and, of course, on the Motorcycle Men website at www.motomenpc.com or motorcyclemen.us. Either one. They both work. Hey, don't forget to get on over to my YouTube channel, Ride With Ted. All right, you can watch some of the many videos I have there. And if you would, please also like and subscribe to videos. That would be a tremendous help to the channel and, of course, to the podcast. I want to thank everybody who entered the contest for the big Christmas giveaway we had. Don't worry, boys and girls. Your gifts or prizes are on the way. Uh, sorry for the delay. I've been waiting for some promotional items, so they are on the way. But thank you very much for participating. And as always, thanks for listening to the podcast. Greatly appreciate it. So for the rest of the Motorcycle Men team, thanks for listening. And remember, boys and girls, we say stupid crap. So you don't have to. I'd say for kids.